0: Hello and welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Jay Wilmington here, Julian Bravo there, and we're back to talk about a Chelsea win, 2-1 against West Ham United. Chelsea returned to the bridge and had a somewhat chaotic match, as this seems to be the theme of their season, turnout in, in victory. But Julian, before we really dive into the Chelsea-West Ham match, we didn't get a chance to have a podcast following the so- Southampton uh, midweek match and had a few Scheduling conflicts and those are always hard to kind of get done. And I've been under the weather for a few days. So now that we're back together here, did you have any thoughts other than obviously it wasn't a very fun experience in that Chelsea Southampton match just uh, midweek?
1: I think today will give us an opportunity to maybe kind of put some comparisons between those two matches side by side, given that I think that this was one of our better performances against West Ham and clearly it was a pretty poor performance against Southampton. But i think the easiest way to kind of summarize the mess that was that southampton match was just looking at a player positional map because after the end of the game i sent that to as many people as i could and i said i have no idea what we're trying to do so that's kind of the overall impressions i had of southampton is there are times this season i've thought i have no idea what on earth we're trying to do and that epitomized that result because i can't envision us playing as poorly as that match the rest of the season, but that one was one of our more embarrassing performances overall just this year for quite a while too, as well.
0: Yeah. You know, you never want to miss an opportunity to, kind of get together and do a podcast but if we're gonna have to miss one you know maybe that wasn't the worst since it was uh not gonna be recapping that was not gonna be a lot of fun since I didn't really have a whole lot of fun watching it the first time around but you know the other thing that's kind of happened since we last spoke here just just in the last week was the closing of the transfer window and uh you know Wesley Fafana had just arrived the last time we spoke right before Chelsea and Lester uh or you know when they squared off and so now uh we'll talk about him actually for the first time in Chelsea blue since he started in this West Ham match but he wasn't the only late arrival in the window. We also saw Pierre Emerick Aubameyang arrive and uh Dennis Zakaria uh a, a midfielder who, you know, may we'll get your opinion on uh uh I think we're going to try to get a midweek podcast for sure done this week and talk about the transfer window at large where we can kind of share our thoughts more in depth because I think that's something we've alluded to Wanting to do but you know it is hard To kind of really take the time To talk about especially with as many Signings as we've had while also Trying to kind of talk about a match uh, that, that was played so we're Going to kind of set aside some time to do that Probably on Wednesday along With uh, a podcast maybe Two parts that will also review Chelsea's first Champions League match That will take part on Tuesday but You know Julian just on any you know real Initial short Thoughts there on how the transfer window finished up for Chelsea?
1: So the big one is Pofana. He is our biggest signing out of a transfer window filled with some really big signings. And without getting too much into the West Ham match, he's the player profile that I think a lot of us were looking to sign. He is young and he has the best days ahead of him. And typically with the Abramovich era, that's kind of been the way we went with our transfers, at least closer towards the end of his reign with the club, because Even if he doesn't necessarily work out, there's still value for him in the future. And I really like that signing. It is my favorite signing of the transfer window. And I'm optimistic and hopeful that he is a very important piece in what Tuchel's plan for the club is. The Zakaria one, I feel like the sentiment among Chelsea supporters is pretty similar. And I'm in that same boat that, truth be told, I don't know a lot about this player he has not had many opportunities to play with juventus himself and they were willing to send him on loan quite freely one thing that's a little bit of a sticking point to me is it looks like our loan fee is just about the same price that they paid for him when they first signed him so this isn't good value for the player that we're getting i've heard a lot of people compare him to everything from Saul to bakayoko and that's not ideal or promising as much as we needed a defensive midfielder i've learned from seasons past that one of the worst things we can do is plug a hole with a player that is not good enough and i will reserve judgment until i get an opportunity to watch him play a couple of matches for us but it doesn't seem like an ideal fit and it seems like another one of these stop gaps that i've been railing against since this transfer window started and speaking of stop gaps the last one we have is obama yang who for me is arguably the worst signing of this transfer window and i might get a little bit of pushback on it but i feel like a lot of chelsea supporters are sharing this same sentiment it is weird it's a very weird signing because it's obvious at this point that tuchel very much wanted him it's obvious that he didn't really work out at arsenal towards the end and the fact that he was so set on getting this player just shows that there might be Too many of these kind of stopgap short-term temporary solutions, especially for how much money we've spent in this transfer window. I obviously don't necessarily like the signing. It reminds me a lot of the Higuain signing where a manager goes to some player that he has a lot of familiarity with that probably isn't an ideal fit for what the club is looking for long term.
0: I think it's a pretty good summary of all three players. I can't really add a lot, particularly to Zakaria, because like you, I have not seen him play a lot. In part, I don't think we've seen him play a lot because he's injured a lot. Um, He doesn't get to play a lot as is, and that's obviously concerning when we're bringing him into a mix that's, uh, you know, availability continues to be an issue already with the group, and then... um, I, you know, I, I'm not even sure really what the plan is, how, how the manager plans to try to implement him in. So I'm, I'm actually a little interested to see if, and when we see him, I have a feeling it'll be, it'll be sparse, um, you know, Abamyang, it's hard for me to get very excited about because of the Arsenal connections, because of the age, because of the cost. Uh, you know, I, it is weird. I think you said, and and clearly because of the bromance with Tuchel, um, you know, I think there's a there's there's something you can sell yourself on there and kind of talk yourself into it working out because of that relationship. And yeah, maybe they'll get it firing again. And I, you know, but I've said before, I think that right now the way that we have particularly at least in the attacking side of of the way we approach the game I don't it'd be tough for about any striker to really be uh prolific so bringing someone in that's brand new to the squad and kind of just placing them in fish out of water doesn't seem like a way to maximize team chemistry you know since it's not like it's there's an abundance of chances coming their way um but anyway you know and Fafana again I, I agreed I you know I this is I, I'm not I he came to mind so I'm just gonna say him uh, you know obviously a very different profile player but but there's a little Eden Hazard in just this just the sense that this guy is clearly already so 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 talented but also there's there's room to grow here just because of the age profile and because of what you know everybody says their expectations are for the for the player um, so that even if you know it would take a ma- ma- like an career-ending injury or um, incredible regression to, to lose money on this, even though you are putting out a huge fee because the market's trending up and also you have this player, you're probably going to get an incredible amount of um, production from and then probably sell for a much larger fee also at the end of the day at some point. I know there's lots of jokes about him Want you know, he's going to want to leave in six months because that's basically what he did to Leicester. But I think that's probably a little sour grapes most of the time from Leicester fans because I think he'll be at Chelsea for a while. Um, well, anyway, so let's get on to the match and, and first... And foremost I think for the first time we see kind of true rotation or at least for me something I thought we might see more from the Southampton match but Tuchel going with a little bit of a different lineup still starts Mendy in goal Fafana we expected to see in that back three for the first time he is there along with Silva and Koulibaly James on the right wing Kukure on the left wing and then you've got kind of you know looking at player maps I thought this almost ended up like a 3-2-3-2, 3-2-3-2, whether or not it was a two-man midfield or a three-man midfield, we had this conversation again with the Lester match. But uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, Mateo Kovacic, Conor Gallagher all in, and then also Christian Pulisic and Sterling up top. I thought Gallagher played more advanced than I kind of expected him to. Maybe that's just because he was sort of forced into that double pivot role uh, the last time we saw him. But Julian, thoughts on this starting eleven?
1: so we actually discussed the 11 because it was a little surprising to see it when it was first released but i think after a second thought i kind of came to the realization that there is a midweek match to keep in mind So it seems like Tuchel still kind of has an idea of the way he wants to structure this team. And this wasn't going to be our regular 11 going forward. It seems like we had a couple of players, some more first-team players, rested for the upcoming midweek match. But other than that, the changes that were made, I feel like Pulisic is obviously the most interesting one because there has been so much discussion about him as a player. But just a lot of adjustments in the forward three because up to this point we had seen the exact same front three and a lot of people were kind of looking to see what we were going to do in the midfield but this one right here especially when kind of looking back on the map which I will get into later in this match it actually looked like Connor Gallagher was the one that was kind of supporting our two forwards and I think it looked really nice I think it worked out well so when you're looking at this on paper, you're thinking what formation could we play? But by the end of the day, I actually think this turned out to be the most true formation of what Tuchel's actually been looking to do this season.
0: Well, it seemed like at least an effort to have, or maybe it was just the product of what he decided to do, but it, it, it put Gallagher in a, in a much better fitting role than where we've seen him so far in Chelsea blue. Uh, but you know, for for the first half anyway julian i think it's hard to have a match that has fewer talking points um uh you may have a, have a few more than mine but you know it was a match that had just not a lot of interesting things particularly as a neutral i you know chelsea was very dominant 70% possession in the first half uh in part because i think this formation that you know west ham it, they they had nothing and i mean nothing not on the counter not uh you, you know really trying to being able to create any set piece chances, it felt like a match that could could be played for a thousand years and be one one to nil, maybe by Chelsea, because again, the, the possession was was really strong, but just not being able to create any chances. Um, you know, I thought in one of the things that has been interesting to me, and I've had a little bit of a complaint, is in the last three or four Chelsea matches, they've been so intense with their energy in the first twenty minutes. Um, you know, looked, looked really dominant, and then whether it's just because that energy level's too high and they're not able to maintain it or a loss of concentration or what it is, but, uh, you know, there, you've seen a big dip after the 20 minutes, and it seemed, at least just from watching this half, that Chelsea approached this match um, a little less all-guns blazing at the start and a little bit more just consistent, like it was just going to be this... They were going to constrict this match and know that they had to be patient against the West Ham defense and that they, they, they really were... Um, a lot more solidified. I don't know what, what for you, you know, you mentioned, you thought this was a pretty good performance. Um, so I, I'm going to guess that you've kind of had more feelings of of credit for Chelsea, you know, keeping West Ham completely away from creating anything than, than being upset about Chelsea, not creating much themselves. Is that accurate?
1: Well, what's funny is I'm going to disagree with you on the sense that this first half didn't tell us too much or there weren't too many talking points because I honestly thought that this was the most interesting first half of football we have played all season, not from like an attack. Excellent, because I was
0: kind of like not real excited to talk about this first half. So music to my ears, my friend. Proceed.
1: So what I really noticed about this was I think that some key adjustments, and this will sound like a lot of Jorginho hate, really influenced the way that this team actually functioned. So the first most important thing is I feel like Fofana helped balance out the back three because Rhys James and Quecha aren't ideal in that position. So if you look for the most part, Koulibaly, Thiago Silva, and uh, Fofana, played very even in that back line, which was ideal. We have not seen that yet to this point. And that allowed Rhys James and Kukurea at times were our most forward player. And you can see from this positional map that they are both really high up the pitch, almost as if they are true wingers, which is ideal. I think that's what we've always been going for in terms of a Tuchel system. That right there was one of the first starting points, but I feel like the biggest talking point is actually in that midfield because Kovacic and Ruben Loftus-Cheek As strange as it sounds, are pretty similar players in the sense that their best attribute is holding on to and dribbling the ball so having both of them in a balanced sense in that midfield was ideal because they were right about the same position in the midfield on opposite sides of the pitch so that right there helped balance out the midfield as well so we have our back line balanced out our wingers balanced out our midfield balanced out and as a result we had a lot more possession and the ball was able to flow through the midfield a lot better and we were actually able to hold on to more possession get the ball forwards to the attacking areas more frequently and I, there's one more thing about that. This is what's been driving me crazy about Jorginho playing is Jorginho plays incredibly close to Thiago Silva throughout the match, and it's poor spacing within the club. Jorginho obviously lacks the ability to dribble past a lot of players. His strength is playing the ball early and quick. And when we have a player, two players, in fact, that are good at maintaining the ball and progressing it forward, it definitely helps space out the entire team. So, I'm looking at this first half and I'm going, this is a wonderful first half. If there are people that have made the argument that our biggest issue is Jorginho, this half really emphasized that because West Ham looked like they were never going to score against us. And on the other end, the people that have been saying our biggest issue is our attacks or we don't have the players that can score goals. This is a good argument for them as well, because we were able to actually progress the ball. We were able to get it in more forward attacking positions. And even then, our attackers didn't really look like they were going to be scoring many goals throughout. So this really demonstrated a lot. I felt like that this right here said much more about any half of football than we have experienced the entire season.
0: Well, and it's one of those arguments. I think that it, you know maybe it's the match that you can make an argument that Aubameyang could make a difference, or maybe not a bombing, but a you know maybe it's maybe it is an actual player that is needed rather than just a, a a failed system. You know, I think one of the points you made there about Fafana is really is really accurate because I think that was. One of the things I think we talked about maybe on the Lester podcast, that that was one of my biggest hopes for the Fafana signing was not only is he a great individual player, but that he we can finally not see Reese James not only starting and playing at right center back, but covering for right center back effectively when he's playing right wing back, when you do have Aspilaqueta there, uh, you know... That, as you said, it it seemed to be mission accomplished, at least for that first match, because, you know, you've got three true true center backs and and your wingers playing up. You know, two talking points I did have in that first half. uh, Loftus-Cheek, who you mentioned was, was a big part of that midfield, did pick up an early yellow card. I thought maybe a little bit careless. It's probably one of those where, you know, you can complain that it's your first foul and it's early in the match, but it was also... You know, it, it was a pretty obvious foul that he kind of lunged into, so I wasn't real surprised. And then Cucurea also picked up a yellow for a foul on Paqueta. And, you know, I it, you know never really like to see yellow cards, particularly from your defenders in the first half. But I, I didn't think that, you know, it really impacted much, much of, of how Chelsea played. You do make it to halftime. Chelsea, no, as I mentioned, no shots on target. Obviously, none for West Ham either. And so, you know, a, a forty-five minutes that I, I think you did a great job of kind of spelling out the the why football is really fun to watch, even when maybe there's not that much happening. Um, you know, shots on target, big tackles, or just you know, lots of counterattacking play. There, there's there's a lot going on there, and, and for Chelsea. Maybe maybe a step in the right direction. Um, second half, suddenly things started to come alive a little bit. Not necessarily immediately, but I think there was a, a double yellow card early in the second half between Reese James and An- Mikel Antonio, and you saw a little bit of a little bit of a coming together. James uh, fouled by Antonio, and you saw his studs kind of catch Antonio on the thigh, which which Mikel Antonio was not happy about, and they had a you know a few words with each other, and it felt like from there, Julian. Maybe the temperature of of the match you know, actually on the pitch started to rise just a little bit. Tell me what you thought of just a few minutes later, five minutes later, in fact, after that double yellow, McEl Antonio could have been sent off for a second yellow on Tiago Silva as a ball's played through. They're kind of running shoulder to shoulder, and then Antonio just grabs him around the neck and just throws him to the ground. Uh, you know, referee rightly calls a foul. No second yellow awarded. What do you think, Julian? Was that not much there? Or was that something that should have been looked at more closely?
1: No, I don't have any qualms about that. I don't have any issues about that. It was, at worst, a minor foul. I don't think that any booking was justified in that one. Obviously, he was on a yellow. I think sometimes that plays the role in that if maybe he had had some infractions earlier and wasn't on a booking, then maybe it could justify a yellow. But for the most part, I don't have any issues with the call.
0: Right after that, Chelsea make a double change. And really, teams, we started to see a lot of tactical changes from here on out. Broja and Mount come on for Pulisic and Gallagher. You know, we talked about Gallagher in particular. Any thoughts on Pulisic in the match? I mean, I think one of the reasons we saw you know, Broja was to get a little bit more of a central presence for Chelsea. um, You know, have someone to be able to play some of the crosses in once we did have progression on the wings, because as you mentioned with Kukure and James being at many times our highest, our our furthest forward players, made sense to get a player in there. But also I just think, you know, I I don't want to get too deep in the Pulisic conversation here, uh, but you know, I, I, just a really ineffective performance, Polisic not not um, particularly involved at all, at least for me, by far the least of anyone playing in the attack.
1: Let me talk about Polisic for a second, because this is the most minutes he's played in the game for us this season. I feel like this is a great opportunity for me and you as Americans to kind of address the Polisic elephant in the room. I think he is probably the second most divisive player in our club, with Jorginho being the most divisive, because a lot of people are looking at him and saying, okay, you need to give this guy an opportunity. If you give him the same opportunities that you gave somebody like Kai Havertz or Timo Werner or Mason Mount, then he will perform. And I think it gives a lot of us a bad name. I will say when we first signed Pulisic, I wasn't the happiest. And I feel like a lot of long-term Chelsea supporters that had been supporting the club, in my case, for around 20 years at that point, were worried what sort of reaction we were going to get as Americans for Pulisic being on the team, because a lot of people were just going to jump to this assumption that we were huge Pulisic fans and we were excited for his signing and he was going to automatically become our favorite player when the reality was a lot of us sat back and looked at it and said, is this really the player that we should be signing? He seems to have struggled with fitness. He seems to be inconsistent. And while he does have some great potential, he's not exactly what we have been looking for in this club. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at this is Pulisic didn't play well. For these people that continuously make this argument that Pulisic, if given the same sort of opportunities, will perform, that's never been the case. Pulisic has been inconsistent in his time with the club. And as a result, it's it's tricky to justify all of these people that are making this argument for him when there's absolutely no validity behind it. This was another poor performance from Pulisic, and he has done nothing to justify his playing time. I understand that... A lot of players are given minutes that they don't necessarily deserve, but clearly Tuchel doesn't rate him. And if he's going to be earning these minutes, then he's going to need to put in better performances than he did in this match.
0: I'm going to make a comparison. You know, you said that we we're going to talk about Pulisic, and I've always you you're rightly so. I think I've always been a little bit nervous to talk about him because I do recognize that there's you know a lot of American Chelsea fans are Chelsea fans because of him, or at least their mutual you know the, the big big excited to have sort of America's best player I like you have have um at times been been pleased with him but for the most part I think um on a personal level I haven't the number one comment I get from people if they see me and say a Chelsea hoodie or something it's hey Pulisic and and I think that part of it just was like I don't really want to just be associated with him as a synopsis of my entire fandom for Chelsea, which had nothing to do with him and wasn't impacted whatsoever by him joining the club. Uh, you know, at, at the same time, that's an incredibly unfair reason to have feelings about a player on your team in a lot of ways. At least it isn't based on anything they've done on the pitch, but I just don't find, um, you know, he's had a couple of purple patches where he was undroppable, but really outside of that just, just doesn't impact matches in a major way and and I guess I I hesitate to make this comparison but heck I'm going to as a as a guy that is a Denver Broncos fan there is in a very different way here a comparison to what it felt like for me to have Tim Tebow on the Broncos please hear me say that Christian Polisic is a much better footballer than Tim Tebow was uh uh, you know at, at 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 his version of football but I guess my point being, the at least on the American side being here, the sort of emphasis, the conversation being so heavily focused on this one individual does kind of wear you out after a while because you're having this experience as a fan that is hugely encompassing and that this one individual is just, especially as a player who's kind of on the peripheral of the squad right now, it isn't really a particularly really interesting part of the conversation to me as a Chelsea fan and yet it is from a, a um, talk or what people want to talk about it seems to be like the number one conversation and and that alone it's just like I could just do without this it's not that I dislike him or I think he has no talent or I have a, a personal vendetta against this person I just I could do without this Impacting my larger experience, and and like I said, it was way worse. The circus with Tim Tebow was way worse than anything with Pulisic. But as an American Chelsea fan, um, let's just be honest: most of the people in our lives don't follow football uh, and don't talk to you. So so there's this peripheral connection of just knowing, hey, America, we've got like everybody knows like two guys, and Pulisic is maybe just one, maybe him. And so seeing that connection of like, hey Chelsea Pulisic, hey, there's nothing sinister there. But I don't know, Julian. For me, I just got really, I, I get somewhat worn out. Um, and then to be added to it, I don't, I don't feel the need to defend him on the field a whole lot because I don't, I don't see him delivering a lot, and and feel like there's some. You know sort of story against him I sometimes feel uh, Amongst my my British fans You know they're not real excited to see the best In Pulisic because why would you want to see The American guy as, as a star but I think that's kind of neither here nor there because I don't think that, um, you know, I, I certainly don't think that there's some bias against him or anything like that. So I'm going to step off all that because I certainly didn't expect to make that analogy. And, uh, you know, as polarizing as Tim Tebow is, that's probably not the person I should compare him to. But just just for me, Julian, that the experience, at least on the fan side, it reminds me a little of where it's like this person in their sport isn't particularly important as far as a talent perspective, and yet the conversation around them, it, it, it's like this person should be Ronaldo based on how much we're talking about them every day. So uh, anything there? Do you want to save me from any of my comments?
1: Uh, no, I feel like you made a pretty solid comparison, especially with uh, American football. But basically, I feel like if he was French or any other nationality, a uh, German, then we wouldn't be in the same boat. And it's just unfortunate that since he is American, we have such a divisive player.
0: Well, getting back to the match, he comes onto the pitch, and something that we certainly was not his fault was the set piece defending, and and Mikel Antonio makes the most of it, and Chelsea like it. You know, is always the fear, no matter how far away from your goal you can keep a team for you know an hour. All it took was one corner and Chelsea sort of fall apart, capitulating, uh, you know, Mendy not real convincing off the line, but again, there's a guy right in his face. It kind of awkwardly falls to Declan Rice, who plays it back across the face of goal, and Antonio scrambles, gets there first, plays it in. And, you know, I I think just something that, as the season has worn on, it didn't feel real surprising to me as much as maybe it didn't feel well earned from West Ham. It just sort of almost felt inevitable the other rich thing to me was I, I bring this up every time we're here, and I don't want to be a broken record, but the number of corners that Chelsea wins in the every match is astounding. I mean, they're in double digits, it's seemingly early in the second half in every match. And then we don't, you know, half of those seemingly are played about chest high into the first defender on the near post, whether it's Kukurea, Galger, whoever it is. And then. On the flip side, it's like a team earns a single set piece against us, and it's going to be chaos and probably a goal. And it's just it's such a deflating way to watch a match because you know set pieces are meant to be something that you know is is fairly valuable, particularly for a team like Chelsea who doesn't do that well to create, attack, and open play. You'd think that you know set pants set pieces is a way to really um, take advantage of their kind of control on these matches and my goodness is it a area of weakness for us julian
1: well i'm going to play devil's advocate on this one because i feel like since there's been so much turnover and change within the club then maybe they just need a little bit more chemistry a little bit more time to understand where each player wants to be or is going to be and once that is solved on our defensive ends and in theory we should concede a lot less of these i think fafana will help because fafana is bigger and One huge issue with a club going into that match before we even signed Fafana was that we have one of the smallest in terms of height clubs, uh, squads in the entire league. So I think this will help. Having some more size will definitely help. And a little bit more experience with each other and working together should also help. As far as it goes in terms of the attack, I thought Gallagher's set pieces were better today than what we had experienced going into this match. I saw a lot of positives from Gallagher, and that's one I definitely took note of. So I think, give it time, we're headed in the right direction, in my opinion, at least in this aspect of the team.
0: Well, I do think we should see those three center backs together a whole heck of a lot, you know, outside of match rotation. So again, like you said, hopefully with just the consistency of the player personnel, that's something that we can clean up inside of our own box in particular. Ten minutes later, after the goal, Chelsea made the double change that had a massive effect on the outcome of the game. Uh, Kai Havertz and Ben Chilwell come on for Kovacic and Kukurea. Ben Rama actually comes on for West Ham at that time for Mikel Antonio. Perhaps, again, I'm with you. I don't think he should have picked up a second yellow, but he was, you know, I, I think it was probably wise. He'd he been industrious, but also I think there was every chance he was going to get a rash uh, second yellow and kind of kill, uh, you know, really put West Ham under the cosh, having to defend a man down against Chelsea. But, It was just four minutes later, and now a guy that just comes on in the 71st minute I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about from here on out. Ben Chilwell gets a goal that, you know, I man, that had to drive you crazy as a West Ham fan, I would imagine, but was almost uh, equal parts enjoyable and comical from my perspective. But what a play by Chilwell. I mean, he gets played in over the top by Silva. He sort of... Plays the ball on in the air, does a 180 away from the goal and then somehow from an impossible angle volleys it between the legs of Fabianski and across the line. I mean, it was just a ridiculous looking goal and what an individual moment from Ben Chilwell just four minutes after coming on.
1: When he took the ball down with his foot, I had no way of believing he was going to score that goal. It was something I have never seen before. The tricky thing is, I feel like if he tries that a thousand times, he maybe gets that right one more time. What it reminded me a lot of was the Bergkamp goal against Newcastle, where you just say, that touch, I mean, he had it perfect, but it was an even more impressive finish. Like, at every moment, he looked like he knew he was in control and knew what he was doing. And he may be that good. He may be secretly uh, our best striker or whatever the case was. I was just stunned. There is no way he should have scored that goal. He had no business scoring that goal. But I have, that's got to be our goal of the season. I can't imagine many goals more impressive than that one.
0: I'm sure most of the people listening to uh, to us have seen it. But if somehow you haven't, you you should definitely go check it out. Like I said, it'll, it'll almost give you a little chuckle of surprise when you watch it because it was just so out of the ordinary. Uh, and like you said, not something he could probably complete if he had another 100 chances at it. But, uh, you know, it's such a beautiful moment of football as well because just 10 minutes earlier after Chelsea had just, you know, taken the life out of the match and been so dominant, uh, at least outside of finishing a chance – It feels like they get sucker punched and you're going to, you know, just have this another awful day and and just all the, uh, you know, ruling mischances and all the all those things. And then all of a sudden, here we are 10 minutes later after a moment of uh, partly chance. And now it's like, okay, we got this. And all this belief comes back to life. And with, you know, 15 minutes plus extra time left, certainly reason for, for I think Chelsea in particular to believe there were three points to be taken from this match. Seven minutes later, Jorginho does come on. He comes on for Loftus Cheek. Agbana comes on for Paqueta, who, you know, a pretty de- defensive substitution, I think, for from a from a West Ham perspective. And then, if the you know if Ben Chilwell coming on was the substitution of the match for Chelsea, Maxwell Cornet comes on for Pablo Fornals in the 85th minute. And man, he talk about a guy for only being on the match for five minutes plus added time. Uh, certainly inserted himself into the. To the conversation, Julian, but it was Chelsea who had the next big moment and the one that turned out to be the match-winning moment. It was Ben Chilwell again, working hard on the left side to get back on side, stays on side, is played wide and whips across uh, a left-footed cross in, and Kai Havertz with an excellent finish, uh, playing it off. You know th- those are so difficult. They when when they're when they're finished smoothly, coming across the goal, side-footed, left left-footed, finished all you got to do with the speed of that cross is just get your foot to it. And he puts it hard into the back of the net. But, you know, we constantly see those chances, those chances missed. And in a moment like that, big moment from Kai. And again, Chilwell right at the center of things, just making, how could you make a bigger impact in uh, what it had only been 18 minutes for Ben at that point?
1: So hopefully this will alleviate some of the pressure on Kai Havertz. I feel like he's, He hasn't done his best this season but i feel like so much of the criticism has been a little over the top towards him we have to address the big chillwell cucurea elephant in the room right here because tuchel has had some really negative comments on ben chillwell and i think a lot of us are really confused as to why he has been somewhat dead set on not starting chillwell let alone it doesn't seem like he really rates chillwell to the same extent that a lot of us chelsea supporters do And I'm gonna bring up his infamous quote on Chilwell's fitness. He says, in my opinion, he lacks rhythm and a bit of feeling for the game. This is what I see in training. The player always thinks he is ready. I think there's some things still missing. So he doesn't really see a lot of what we've seen in Ben Chilwell. And I kind of alluded to that in our season preview that Kukurea was always Ben Chilwell's replacement. We were always dead set on purchasing a couple of center backs and Kukurea was going to be playing on that left side. And a lot of people have probably noticed at this point that Kukurea does not have the same sort of attacking prowess as Ben Chilwell. And to put in context, obviously, we had Alonso that had almost no defensive capabilities towards the end of his career, but was an incredible attacker for the club. And Ben Chilwell has always kind of been a little bit of that intermediary where he's got good enough defensive ability, but at the same time, he offers you so much in attack. Whereas Kukurea has been, we'll give him credit, wonderful defensively he seems to play and connect well with the other players in terms of passing and build up in the game however when it comes to the actual attack it's been absent whatever shots he has taken have been wayward and not even close and seeing a player especially in a system that thrives on our wing backs being really important in the attack score a goal and assist a goal in such a limited amount of time you really have to wonder why he was so dead set on replacing this player and people can come at me and say that it's not a replacement we need two left backs but if you have a champions league final only one of them is starting and at this moment it doesn't seem like it would be ben chilwell even with a performance like this well
0: and with the money we spent too right like on kukareha that's another failed argument on like we brought this guy in for sort of depth or You know, I I, I've I've mentioned on the podcast that what it had told me to some degree or what I thought it might mean was that Chilwell wasn't as ready physically from his return from injury. Again, I know it's a it's a 20 minute appearance, but that's a pretty hard, you know, certainly a hard argument to make after that look pretty ready to me. So. Uh, yeah, I think maybe you do then start to look more back to just is this a guy Tuchel doesn't favor for whatever reason. And hopefully, at least from my perspective, I mean, I love Ben Chilwell. He's I, I always say I just I, he's yeah, he's not, you know, how could you not like him? Uh, he's he's just good vibes, and, and he really likes Chelsea, and he really works hard. And I thought, you know, there were some articles put out after the match that kind of highlighted Joel and his return from injury and how much he wants to install himself into the England side before the World Cup here and how far he has to go to do that. And, you know, it's a guy that I think you just root for tremendously hard, and then when he has a performance like that really doesn't make, you know, really help, it makes it easy to root for I'm really interested. I think this creates a really interesting conversation going forward about their playing time for these two, because I think, you know, regardless of, you know, I, I've, I've kind of made arguments that haven't even been made or, or at least made um, a thought things like I said about, well, maybe that means Chilwell's not quite as healthy. I think this makes that conversation a lot more on the front burner and makes people are really going to be paying attention and wanting to see more of Ben Chilwell. And then what does that mean for Cucurea, particularly if, if, you know, we've we've heard Kukurea could be pretty good at left center back, uh, but you know, Kulabali's going to be there the majority of the time. So, yeah, it's a it is really interesting to me because it's obviously we, we need to see more of Ben Chilwell, but it is a player that the manager seems to have purposely sort of marginalized. So now, what happens next? It's 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 very interesting. Chelsea, I think one of the poor, most frustrating things of us so far this season is it's almost like the minute we score, hold your breath, because you know you should just expect an, a great chance or a goal from the other side within minutes, and once again, almost got it, and kind of the talking point, at least post-match, what, what I've seen the most conversation circling. Another late-match VAR moment, and for once, uh, really, Chelsea ending up on the fortunate side of this conversation shall we say or at least uh there's a lot of angry feelings out there and and we we are on the positive side of all those emotions um Maxwell Cornet I mentioned coming on scores a goal but it's called off after VAR reviews a, a play that hey, join how would you describe this it, Chelsea sort of plays themselves into a mess a back header Mendy comes out it's it's played sort of in a no-man's land and there's a sprint on for the ball between Edward Mendy and Jared Bowen Mendy dives, just able to to parry it out. A dragging leg from Bowen catches Mendy across the chest. Not initially called a foul, but as the balls re- replayed into to Cornet, who makes a nice play into the box and fires into the back of the net to presumably tie the match at two for for West Ham. Once again, long wait for VAR, and uh, I don't know, Julian. You know, it's pretty easy as a Chelsea fan to to say that's a foul every time but uh what were your expectations waiting for the uh, while the match officials were talking about whether this goal was going to stand
1: well it's really strange from one angle it looks like why on earth are we even reviewing this from the other angle you can make a slight bit of an argument and i feel like the sentiment was once he's going to the monitor this is going to be overturned and i was beyond confused and this is what's been so frustrating as a chelsea supporter is So many people have been saying there's an agenda against us, but this proves that there's no agenda. They're just really bad at making calls. And this was another example of it, because I don't think that goal should have been overturned. I have a lot of criticism for our players, uh, Mendy, for expecting a call. I understand that he was caught with a foot, but it looked like the attacker wasn't really looking at Mendy, and he might have left a trailing foot, but at the same time, it's rarely called. And I feel like Jorginho, too, who was ball-watching, he was caught ball-watching in the midfield, never chased after the play, and as a result, there was so much space for them to put the ball in the back of the net that a lot of players made a lot of mistakes in that, and we were very fortunate to be bailed out. So as much as I said after the Tottenham match, we have no room to be complaining about the calls because we didn't finish the match. It's a little bit of the same thing with West Ham. Yes, it was a bad call. I will say as a Chelsea supporter, I think it was a bad call. I don't think the goal should have been overturned. But something we didn't discuss was they had an opportunity just a few minutes earlier before we scored our second goal that they should have put away. And they missed their opportunities. And as a result, they should not be complaining because you can't rely on the ref to bail you out and that was the case in this one was the ref cost them at least equal points in this match and i feel bad because we've been on the other side of that but at the very least we need to stop assuming there's some sort of agenda
0: yeah i'm with you on that and i saw someone after this is kind of why my main point about a surrounding VAR has nothing to do with an agenda against Chelsea. My main point around this is we should scrap this dang thing because it's just not right most of the time, whether it's for us against us. I saw somebody make a point, you know, on on Twitter after the match saying, you know. Let's just be honest, nobody really wants more VAR calls to be right. They just want more VAR calls to go their their side's way. And it's like, nah, I, I get it. We're all really biased fans. But but no, really. Like I would I would take some calls going against us, uh, and get rid of this whole thing so I can actually celebrate goals again and like have feelings that come emotions that come with watching a match instead of just like this muted experience of waiting five minutes after an event to be told how I should feel about it. Um, I just think that's the part for me, but yeah, from the, from the, I, I also saw people saying like, yeah, well, we we got that call, but you know, it was still a bias against Chelsea because Antonio didn't get sent off for a second. yell. It's like, oh man, guys, come, come on. Yeah. These are the kind of things that don't really, don't really make us look super good. Uh, just, you know, I, I don't know. Every fan base is biased and, uh, it just yes I, I think this was a it, west ham could feel very hard done by and after all, after all the conversations in the last few weeks about how there's some big campaign against chelsea i think like what what more evidence do you maybe need to see that's not really the case interestingly enough though i saw other folks this is why i always say you know any piece of information in the world is just confirmation bias for anyone who already knows what they think because i i actually saw people's response that because the fa came out and so quickly ruled That this decision was wrong and it took them longer to say that about the Cucurea hair poll that that in that actually proved that there was bias against Chelsea because the FA came out more quickly to it's just like, oh, guys, anyway, I I don't have the energy to kind of carry all this thought process on anyway. So, you know, that VAR, I think, was a pretty big talking point, particularly, I mean, you saw Declan Rice, D- uh, David Moyes, uh, each, you know, say very, very strong sentiments, things similar to Tuchel had after the Tottenham match, that I think you'll see probably some fines come out of, regardless of whether the officials sort of acknowledged the the inconsistency of, of that call. Um, you know, obviously, to me, the big talking point, we, we kind of hit it already, was the Chilwell substitution, and then, you know, Julian, for me, Man of the match, it it stays right there as well. I mean, for a guy to only be on the pitch for 20-plus 20, 20 minutes with with added time, I it's hard for me to argue there's another man of the match when you've got a goal and an assist in that amount of time and kind of completely turn the match on your head. Uh, any arguments from you there?
1: Uh, no arguments whatsoever. Obviously, I like to give credit to some other players in the match as well. Chilwell, easily, my man of the match, definitely played a huge role in changing it. and. A couple of players I did want to give a lot of credits to uh, Tiago Silva, yet again, been our best and most consistent player throughout the season. So I appreciate his performance. I don't know how many of these performances he has left in him, but each one that he gives us is um, much appreciated. Another player I wanted to give credit for was Connor Gallagher, who I feel like was allowed to play his game a little more. And as a result, you saw a much better performance from him. He was getting in some great positions in the attack and he may not have gotten the goal or the outcome that we were all hoping for but i think he played a much better performance overall
0: one question for you what did you think of of Armand, armando broja coming in and and you know didn't have a massive impact but i thought he you saw a couple a couple sparks in there he he almost actually he, he had a shot on target that was really just like an effort play trying to trying to almost force zuma into a mistake and kind of gets his toe on a ball that Fabianski somewhat lucky to get as slowly as it's hit back to him. But, you know, it it just, I I don't know that we've seen anything that really stands out from him yet, but I think we've seen something that, like, uh, certainly enough to maybe see him start a match, like on Tuesday uh, or or sometime soon, maybe against Fulham on the weekend. Before Abamian gets here, I'd like to see him play. Um, You know, I, I, I realize PEA coming in might, might, Mute some of these chances for Brogia But I I just find him a very interesting Change in the way we play you mentioned Gallagher Being played differently and and being able to Do some different things for Chelsea I just He's a guy up front that I, I I'm not quite sure what to make of yet But I'd like to see get a chance from the Start of a match and play you know 70 80 90 minutes
1: And I do think it's wishful thinking to expect any sort of significant playing time for him because it's appeared that Tuchel has kind of looked at our front three attackers as essentially interchangeable. So it's not that he's like second choice as a striker or third choice as a striker. It seems like he might be sixth or seventh in terms of these three that are continuously rotated, which I don't think is fair to him what you always get from academy players and this isn't exclusive to chelsea you've seen it with somebody like Sokka and arsenal and going further back somebody like kane at tottenham is when they're looking to make a point they will put so much more effort in than a lot of other players and that's what i feel like we've seen from broja is he's putting in a lot more work and effort because he's trying to prove a point and he's trying to demonstrate that he might deserve a little bit more playing time and oftentimes you can see players struggle and underperform because they're trying too hard to get some sort of positive result from the match. But that's what I've seen with Broja. is he looks like he has a lot of efforts. I feel like it's a little bit in vain and the signing of Obama Yang, that's another reason why it's a signing. I don't like is I feel like what little playing time brojo did have, it's probably not going to be there from this point going forward.
0: I think that's probably fair, right? I mean, just the, yeah, we, we didn't bring in PEA to just sit, I guess, although I'm still, you know, We'll talk about it more midweek, but I'm not hopeful of much from that signing. But uh, speaking of midweek, Chelsea's next match comes Tuesday, September 6th, where they'll travel for their first Champions League match to face on to face uh, Dynamo Zagreb of Croatia. You know, obviously a match, Julian, that Chelsea should be pretty heavily favored in, although, you know, it's never super easy to travel midweek to another part of Europe on the road and kind of, You know, just different to play a team that you never see. Um, But exciting once again to have Champions League football for Chelsea. And, um, you know, any thoughts from you kind of going into that match and kind of restarting the Champions League campaign once again?
1: I always say when it comes to the Champions League, three points, no matter how you get it on the road, is good. So if we win a scrappy 1-0, 2-1 match, then I am the happiest person out there and we can run away with the points and not go back there anytime soon.
0: This feels like a match that you'd get a get a scrappy winner from Mitchie Batshuayi or Ross Barkley, but we don't have either of those guys anymore, so we're going to have to find one from somebody else, I guess. But, uh, yeah, Julian, thanks for joining me. It's always so nice to talk to you again. I'm glad we got to talk about a match win because it sure looked like uh, we could have been talking about any kind of outcome here, and that's one of the reasons I think this is always so fun is because from one minute to the next, things go from a pretty frustrating day to something that you can forgive a lot of mistakes and just be happy with the three points, so, Julian, thanks again for joining me, and hopefully I can uh, connect with you midweek. And uh, any anything else, uh, any final thoughts here before we talk again later?
1: Well, I feel like you should have spared the listeners uh, some of my final thoughts. I actually had quite a few. Um, we did gloss over it. I have to go back, and I know it sounds like Jorginho hate, but I want to praise him when he deserves it, and I want to give him the criticism when he deserves it. Him losing possession in our half – of the field, of the pitch, was really bad. It should have cost us that match, and he is very fortunate that they hit the woodwork, and we were bailed out from that. Jorginho can't keep making those mistakes. He's been making those mistakes for a very long time, and I feel like that's why a lot of the criticism towards him is warranted. One last thing I wanted to say, especially pertaining to VAR decisions and ref decisions, is everybody looks back at the matches that we were wronged, most notably like the Arsenal FA Cup final, but the most disheartening match I feel like I've had over the last couple of years was when we won against Wren 3-0. And I didn't feel like we deserved either of those two penalties. I feel like their player didn't deserve to be sent off. And it's one of the worst experiences I've had as a Chelsea supporter is feeling like we would have won this match, but now I feel like this match is tainted and this isn't the way I want to win the match. I hope there are more people out there like myself that don't want three points because it was handed to us, that we didn't deserve those three points. If we get wrong in those three points, that happens. We need to do better. West Ham needed to do better, but I really am not comfortable or happy winning because of a referee decision.
0: Well, in part, I think that's why you're a hardworking person, because I think a lot of people are more than happy to have good things come their way in life without any justification whatsoever but like you i think it's a means quite a bit more when it's actually deserved so uh you know appreciate you julian thanks again and we'll talk to you soon folks thanks for joining us on another episode of we ain't got no podcast